Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Hey, married ladies. Hey, lady. I'm just a lady. I'm just, just a lady, single lady. You know. <laughs> Oh, that feels bad. Just oh, a lady. I'm just a lady. Not to me. You're a married lady. You know what? <sighs> you look the same to me. I feel the same. Yeah, I figured Everybody you would. Everybody is like, you're going to feel so different. No. Your relationship is going to feel so different. No, you, like, you seem the same to me. I feel exactly the same. So <laughs> people like to make a big deal out of this stuff. And while weddings are a big deal, getting married is a big deal. Doesn't change you as a person. No. Doesn't change you as a couple. At least not us no. I don't know like maybe it does for other people but like we've been together for so long and yeah our lives are so established already like to me it was just a really awesome fun party it was so much fun yeah so much fun I would have posted more if I'd had better service <laughs> oh yeah I mean I will definitely post whenever my pictures come in I'm kind I of can't waiting wait to, to see them I yeah. swear though anytime the photographer came to our table or near me I was like fixing my boobs in my dress or something <laughs> and I'm like don't take pictures now uh, she is so sweet too, our photographer. So yeah. shout out to Kelsey at the Yellow Wild on Instagram if you oh, want to awesome. go follow her page because totally. uh, beautiful work. She yeah. does beautiful work. But yeah, no, it was a really fun day. Like it was, it was so a really fun. beautiful day. It was really fun. I am so tired because oh, it's just been nonstop. Like family in town. I got back from Joshua Tree today, so I'm just yeah. like, oh, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot. I even like because we stayed an extra night. And I'd had my mom in town and all this stuff. So even for me, I'm like, you know, I think I need some alone time. Like I need to not be around people for a little bit and yeah. not socialize That's for a kind minute. of how I feel like tomorrow I take my brother to the airport because he's going back to London. And then after that, Anthony's like, what do you want to do now? Like, where do nothing. you want to go? And I want to like, do nothing. Kind of nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like I kind of just want to come back here, like maybe make some soup. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, I'll send you my vegetable soup recipe. It's very fall. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because I have given up meat. I haven't eaten meat since Monday. My vegetable soup is dope as fuck. I'm so down. I've I've pinned a vegetable stuffed pepper soup that I'm going to make. Oh, that so. sounds so good. Yes. Oh, I love it. Well, we should actually probably get to the nitty gritty here. You and mean talk people about- don't want to know about all of our soup recipes? It's soup I mean, season. We should start a soup podcast. Honestly, I love soup. Okay, but <laughs> all right. Anyway, you're right. And every week we like just talk about a different recipe of soup. Oh, yeah. You all would listen to that, right? Bring people on. They can tell us what their favorite soup is and why. 
<laughs> just saying. I think we may have tapped into an un, uh, uncharted market here with podcasts. I feel like people really like soup and they don't talk about it that much. We should talk about soup more often. I agree. If Let's you talk agree, about soup some more. Please let us know. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us at angry neighborhood feminist. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. So what do you have? Well, I have a lot about the Facebook whistleblower situation. Let's talk about that. Let's okay. start with that. And then we'll, then we'll move on to me next. Let's start with that. Okay, so Frances Hagen, I think it's pronounced Hagen. It could be Hogan, but I think it's Hagen. Um, she's a 37-year-old former Facebook product manager who worked on civic integrity issues at the company. So she uh, filed at least eight whistleblower complaints with the Securities and Exchange Commission, alleging that the company is hiding research about its shortcomings from investors and the public. She also shared the documents with regulators and the Wall Street Journal, which published a multi-part investigation showing that Facebook was aware of problems with its apps. So this has been kind of a thing for a while. Did you say it's been aware of problems with its ass? With its apps. Oh, apps. <laughs> what? So, I mean, we all experienced the great outage yes. of 2021 where Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp were all down. We'll for- never forget the post that we saw for 12 hours or uh, however long it was. It was my friend again. Marley Miller and it was her birthday and she looked beautiful. Oh, but that's it funny. Was, it was at the top of my Instagram feed every single time. Mine was Tom Daly, the Australian, I think, Olympic diver, Great Britain Olympic diver. Yeah. I mean, I'm not mad at it, but like I would have liked to have seen some other faces too. I mean, it was okay because I just spent that time on TikTok instead. <laughs> I was in, I was still in Los Alamos at that time so Max and I were just like, doing I'm our, busy. yeah I was like I'm just drinking wine I'm good <laughs> yeah well I, I don't know if those issues are related but it was it did happen the day before she was set to testify at a okay. Senate subcommittee so people were like speculating if it's related in some way because it is very unusual Facebook has so many servers yeah. obviously uh, because they're one of the biggest companies in the world. Right. But it is very unusual that they were out for that long. Usually, yeah. if Instagram goes down, it goes down for like... A at, few hours yeah. or at like not max. even. Like yeah. maybe like an hour, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's... It was very strange. But people have been talking for a long time. I mean, Facebook has been linked to a lot of um, like civil unrest in other countries specifically yeah. because of the way that it allows disinformation and misinformation to just be spread. Yeah. Um, and a lot of like hate speech that goes unregulated on the Right. Platform. And that's been something that Zuckerberg's been like confronted with for a really long time and how he's going to get better about regulating yeah, the stuff quote on his unquote, site. Is yeah. going to get better, right? So right. she testified on Tuesday before the Senate Subcommittee on Consumer protection, product safety, and data security, detailing her vast knowledge of the internal workings of the company uh, through both her previous work and the thousands of pages of internal documents that she reviewed and then shared with lawmakers. So she obtained these documents and leaked them basically to lawmakers. So she um, used a lot of real world examples of things that she had witnessed firsthand in the ways that the company causes harm. So Facebook products she says, harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy and put profit over moral responsibility. Internal documents cited in the complaints show Facebook knows both that hate speech and misinformation on its platform are having a societal impact and that its, quote, core product mechanics, such as virality recommendations and optimizing for engagement, are a significant part of why these types of speech flourish. So right. basically... 
they know that hate spreads faster than love on the internet. Right. And so it's not in their best interest to take things down that, that are hateful. That are hateful or that right. stoke division. So if you watched um, the social dilemma, they talk a lot about that. That like What is the social dilemma? Oh my gosh. So you should definitely watch it. Is it like a Netflix documentary it's or something? A Netflix documentary about <laughs> social media and the way that it like operates and also its impact on us yeah and like the way that it's changing our like brains and yeah like that. yeah and that these apps are designed to keep you on the application yeah, for they're as addicting. long as possible yeah so they've found that like a lot of these articles that are stoking division and hate uh keep people engaged those are the ones that are being shared the most right. often yeah and, and have the most interaction people look more into them and right so on because and so forth what who doesn't love scrolling through comments of people fighting each other? Well, yeah. Right? And there's the difference between like puppy running through the fields. Like that's not going to be something that maybe you would sink your tink, your tink into <laughs> your teeth into as much. But like when it's something that is seen as like a possible conspiracy or yes. something that's more dramatic, like yes. that's what's going to make people click on it because they want to know the answers, the right. truth, whatever, right. you know? In one study of the misinformation and polarization risks encountered through the recommendations, it took just a few days for Facebook's algorithm to recommend conspiracy pages to an account following official verified pages for conservative figures such as Fox News and Donald Trump. It took less than a week for that same account to get a QAnon recommendation. So it just keeps going. Yeah. And she has all of this information that says that they know this. Like, because I think that the defense has been that they don't know know yeah but they actually do know and right. they actively are keeping it going yet I can say men are trash in a comment and be kicked off Facebook for a day right I mean and that's <laughs> that's another problem so according to an internal document on the problematic non-violating narratives reference in at least two of the complaints Facebook removes as little as three percent to five percent of hate speech and less than one percent of content that's considered violent or inciting partially because they don't have enough actual humans working on this. Yeah. So they have keywords, right? Like men men are trash, right? Like yeah. they've got keywords that they're like... That flag it. That get flagged. So the bots can see it and take care of it. And yeah. take it down. Well, because can you imagine if there was actual human beings involved in monitoring every Facebook account? Right, absolutely. It I mean, be that's impossible. Yeah. But also there are ways to change their algorithms and 100%, stuff that they're, that they're yeah. not doing. And... You know, we've seen this firsthand on our Instagram account where I know that I have like flagged something for hate speech and then they've come back and said, you know, it, this doesn't actually violate our standards. Yeah. And it's because they're missing context, right? Like a yeah. bot can't pick up on the context of a conversation. Right. So it's just looking at the keywords of what was said in that comment. And it's like, well, none of these keywords are flagged. Right. Without like picking up on the whole of what's going on. Right. So it's also been proven that Facebook has misled the public about the negative effects of its platform on children, especially teens and young girls. Mark Zuckerberg has said in the past that um, when he was asked directly in a congressional hearing whether or not the app harms children, he said, I don't believe it does. However, based on Facebook's own internal research, so they did do research about this, uh, it cited that 13.5% of teen girls on Instagram say the platform makes thoughts of suicide and self-injury worse, and 17% say that Instagram makes eating issues such as anorexia worse. Mm -hmm. Their research also claims that Facebook's platforms make body image issues worse in one in three girls. Yeah. So, Well, I know that there is 
technically like an age limit you have to be of a certain age to have an Instagram but a lot of times there are these it's such a it's a you can lie and then also it's like I remember when like dance moms was on and all the little dance moms girls had them like in the bio it was like run by mom blah 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 yeah things like that but like the kids are still the ones who are getting onto these accounts and seeing all of these things and I do I don't know what, you know, if and when I have kids, I don't know what the best way to go about social media is because I think that just saying you can't use it at all isn't necessarily going to fix the problem. But then it's hard to monitor what your kids are seeing and when things on the internet don't have to be truthful. And as you said, these hateful things are being spread faster than Mm -hmm. positive things. We're exposing our children to so many things that we don't have any control over it. Right. I mean, it's why like, it's why these platforms and the people who own these platforms have a moral responsibility, a moral obligation to make sure that their platforms are protecting as many people as possible, especially right. children. Yeah. And they don't. And it's not as if they don't know. Like there are changes that they could be making to their algorithms to right. stop a lot of this stuff that's being spread. Well, hope- and they actively don't do it. Hopefully now that these whistleblowers have been you know, unearthed, maybe that will be more pressure on the company to do some more things. But I I mean, I hope so. Her testimony was very persuasive to a lot of members of the subcommittee. They repeatedly were calling her a hero. And they also told her that they would protect her from any potential retribution from Facebook. Fantastic. Um, And they made it clear that they would like to speak to Mark Zuckerberg about this. Yeah. He needs to come in here and talk. His net worth went down by like, what, three billion or something stock, in like a day? <laughs> the stock has is lower than it has been in like 10 years or something. Wow. Um, he did release a statement in which he said that the testimony overall created a, quote, false picture of the company. So, sure. okie dokie. And then also his lawyers and reps for, for Facebook are saying, well, these documents were obtained uh, illegally. And it's like, well, well but are they true? Well, they're still true. Yeah, <laughs> like, like whether or not they were obtained illegally, like this is still facts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, man. Well, I wanted to take a moment to talk about how the women of Afghanistan are fighting back against some of the oppression that's going on right now. I found this to be a very, very interesting story and something that I think is important for our show in particular to be highlighting. 
So as we know, this summer, as the U.S. military withdrew from Afghanistan and the Taliban regained control, uh, there was a woman by the name of Bahar Jalali, who is an Afghan woman. She watched as women were being told to stay home and to cover themselves, seen as an early indicator of other rights soon to be taken, including the right to attend Kabul University, which is no longer accepting women. Bahar was born in Kabul and works as a visiting associate professor at Loyola University, Maryland. She was raised in the United States, but still feels connected to her home country, where she returned in 2009 to teach at the American University of Afghanistan. She returned to the U.S. in 2016 after surviving a violent attack at the university by the Taliban. In an interview with the New York Times, Bahar says that the renewing of such restrictions, quote, is one of the biggest concerns I have now that the Taliban are back in power is Afghan sovereignty, Afghan identity, Afghan culture, Afghan heritage. Even before the Taliban came to power, 43 years of war really transformed our culture to the point where very important aspects were lost. To help spread her views, she posted a photo of herself to Twitter from 2005 wearing an emerald green dress with beautiful embroidery on it, a traditional outfit that she wore for her first wedding. The caption read, this is Afghan culture. That tweet has since went viral. And now women across the world are sharing photos of themselves in their own traditional Afghan clothing, often with the hashtag, do not touch my clothes. Another woman by the name of Zarifa Ghaffari, who is an activist who became one of Afghanistan's youngest female mayors at the age of 26 in 2019. Uh, she also had to flee the country back in mm-hmm. August. Yeah. And yeah, I think we've discussed we her. her. Yeah. yeah. She shared a photo of herself as well in her own traditional dress while attending the Geneva Peace Talks. And her caption wrote, It is important to create awareness and to show the true colors of women in Afghanistan. Taliban are trying to erase women's presence, erase them from the walls, from the streets, from the schools, from work, from government. We are so much more than a dress and outfit, but my mother and grandmother and older generations have worn similar dresses with bright colors. This is our beautiful heritage, our rich culture, our joy of life. So... A lot of this is, I think, incredibly beautiful because it's showing the presence of women in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan when their images are really being wiped away and their rights are being taken away because right now in Afghanistan, boys have returned to school and a date for the return for female students has yet to be announced and women are now required to wear hijab at schools and female students will not be allowed to study alongside male students. It's so devastating how quickly how quickly things reverted. It's so, so deeply upsetting for so many reasons that we've talked about uh, on this show before. You know, I think that that's just devastating. I'm really glad that at least these women feel like they can do this or they've found it in themselves to be able to um, share their voice in this way because I imagine that that's incredibly scary. Yeah. Uh, Well, and I also really like that it is bringing more knowledge of that culture to us yeah, in the United I was States as well. I going to say the exact same thing because, you know, I think that we oftentimes think about certain groups of people as being a monolith, yeah. right? Like all Afghan women are like this or, you know, this is one culture when it's so much more like nuanced than that. Yeah, and know? I think the differences as well between like, 
you know, the darkness of being hidden and pushed aside Mm -hmm. and the contrast in like, you really should look at the dresses and some of the things that they're wearing in these photos because they're all like so bright and intricate and there's like beading or embroidery and they're all like really, really beautiful items of clothing that are like meant to be seen. Like they're very, very bright. And to me, that shows such a stark contrast to how the women are being treated in Afghanistan right now when they should be wearing these bright, beautiful dresses and be happy they're being pushed aside and their rights are being taken away and so I think that it really is such an amazing thing that this has become somewhat viral I hope it becomes more viral Um, and it's definitely important for all of us I think to be paying attention to what's going on right right now I I absolutely think it's important for us to not forget because we have such a a short attention span yeah uh as a culture in general, but in this country especially. And I really think that it's important for us to be paying attention and to continue to pay attention to what's going on over there. Yeah, I mean, I had a whole other bunch of notes, and this would be way too long of a conversation, but about the... Uh, U.S. made weapons that are being sold in Afghanistan right now that were taken by the Taliban and all this. There's so much going on and I got most of my information from the New York Times and they do have something really wonderful right now. We're at the top. It's like Afghanistan updates when I was reading that. So it showed like a whole list of different articles that were pertaining to that topic and that's where I saw that, you know, the women are fighting back and gun sales. And so I'm, I'm very... Uh, thankful that a lot of news outlet outlets are being as like coherent, not coherent. What's the word I'm looking for? Transparent as they are being about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll definitely do our part as much as possible to be sharing things as well. Um, just to kind of keep that in the forefront of our minds as much as possible. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more thing, and that is that the Texas Pardons Board voted unanimously to recommend uh, a posthumous pardon for George Floyd for that 2004 drug conviction that we talked about on our George Floyd, Derek Chauvin episode. So I forgot that he lived in Texas. Yeah, he lived in Houston for uh, a bit before he ended up in Minneapolis. I remember that now. Yeah. So the Texas State Board of Pardons and Paroles voted unanimously on Monday to recommend a full posthumous pardon of that 2004 drug conviction. Amazing. So the application for the pardon was filed in April on behalf of Floyd and his surviving family. In the application, the public defender's office said that the request was filed because the arresting officer in his case, Gerald Goins, I think, or Goins, maybe it's Goins. We don't give a shit if you're a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit. Well, then I don't care what your name is. So they said (laughs) that he manufactured the existence of confidential informants to bolster his cases against innocent defendants. So... Mm. um, So he was doing shady stuff with a lot of different cases. So the fact that he did that needs to be recognized in Floyd's case as well? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, and there is some evidence of that. Like, there's some evidence that he did do this specifically Specifically in to case. George Floyd? Yeah, okay. yeah. Man, so, two, I mean, like, more than two shitty cops in his situation. I think it was probably more like four or five. But man, what the fuck? Right, yeah. So the district attorney, Kim Og, recommended uh, clemency for George Floyd. This officer, Gerald Goins, I'm going to call him Goins, has been fucking up all over the place for a while now. So during the arrest in February of 2004, George Floyd's arrest, Goins alleged that Floyd was in possession of crack cocaine. His proof 
was that Floyd had provided drugs to an unnamed, quote, second suspect oh. who had agreed to sell the drugs to undercover Goins. The sec- so then somebody was like, oh, I got it from Floyd. And then that's how he. That's what he said. But the second suspect was never arrested or identified. So they're thinking that he it's just used some that- informant or whatever. Right. Or, yeah. They're saying like. You sold to somebody who then sold to me who ratted you out to me when he really has no proof that that's of that. what yeah. happened necessarily. And he still arrested him. Right. Yeah. And then in 2019, Goins was involved in a high profile case known as the Harding Street Killings, Ooh. in which he obtained a warrant for a no knock raid from a municipal judge under false pretenses. Of course he did. So he fabricated like like evidence of why we needed this no-knock warrant. The raid left two people dead and five police officers injured. Oh, my On this guy's, God. like, he obtained this. So he has been in law enforcement for 35 years, and after that, he was indicted on two charges of felony murder and tampering with government record. I mean, thank goodness mm-hmm. that he was indicted. Yeah, but that's what it took, and honestly, it's probably because those five officers were in- injured, injured in this Injured, yeah, it's raid. not about the two people that died. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the ultimate decision on whether to grant Floyd clemency rests with Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. Of course. Uh, uh, So I don't know. I I don't know if it will actually be granted because Greg Abbott is a piece of shit. Um, Hyper conservative piece of shit. I don't know that. I don't think politically that would be a good look for him. No, for his like party, that's not going to be a positive thing. Right. But, you know, we can keep pushing for it. And it is helpful or helpful. It is hopeful that the parole board did unanimously vote like all yeah. of them. Cause you know that it's, it's Texas. You know that there have to be people on that parole board who are uber conservative, are uber conservative and, yeah. and unanimously, they all looked at this evidence and they were like, yeah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> like he should not have been convicted of this. 100%. There wasn't enough evidence for him to be convicted of this. So I wanted to bring that up just because I know we talked about that. Yeah. Charge. The arrest and everything. Um, yeah. And it has been kind of, including when we talked about it, you know, we wanted to give the full picture of George Floyd's life. And, um, of course that's on his Wikipedia page. It's in, it's in articles about him that this is something that was fact. And as it turns out, there wasn't really enough evidence. And so, um, I don't it want adds it another be- layer to, to his story. Right, exactly. So exactly. we need to be able to give you the full picture as yeah. well. Well, I know we don't have a lot of time yet, but I did want to give a really quick update on the Texas abortion ban. Speaking of Texas. Uh, speaking of good old Greg Abbott. Yeah, well, luckily I'm not talking about Abbott too much here. So on Wednesday, there's a federal judge by the name of Robert L. Pittman, and he granted the Justice Department's request to halt enforcement of the new Texas abortion law. He sided with the Biden administration by pausing the enforcement of the law, which could have an immediate effect on people in Texas who have scrambled to find health care providers in other parts of the country to get an abortion. Judge Pittman said this court will not sanction one more day of this offensive deprivation mm-hmm. of such an important right. Here, here. Yes. Uh, but just to make us angry, you know, there are lots of anti-abortion groups who are now fighting even harder to ensure that this, you know, doesn't that the pause doesn't continue. And honestly, it's not looking great because it does still have to get to the Supreme Court. I'll get there in a moment. But there is a group called the Susan B. Anthony list. Oh, because God. of course. Ugh. And they said that the new Texas law had saved more than 4,700 babies since it first took effect <sighs> over a month ago. 
preach. Amen. That's all you can say. That's all you can say to that. It's a very long exhale. I feel you. Um, so according to the New York Times, there is no guarantee that the Justice Department's civil suit against Texas will make its way to the Supreme Court because it would first have to go to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is one of the most conservative in the country. And should the appeals court rule that the bill is constitutional, <laughs> the Supreme Court could deny to even hear the case. So it's great that this... Texas judge has put this pause on it is making sure that, you know, people who need abortion services at this moment are able to get them. But it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to hold on to that for too long. So we have to continue to keep letting our voices be heard, fighting for Texas. (laughs) I don't know. Fighting for the uh, people of Texas. The people of Texas who need health care. Need access to health care, reproductive health care and reproductive rights. Yeah. Yeah. But we did have a couple listeners who were saying that they appreciated us talking about it and helping them be informed on it. So I wanted to give that update for what's going on. And uh, much like everything that we've discussed in this episode, we'll probably be in a continual story to keep an eye on. Yeah. Ooh-wee. Man, what a week. What a week. What a I know. Week. And I was like, man, I have not been keeping up with what's been going on. You I know? haven't been either. Yeah, because I've just been running around all over the place. Yeah. Like, I turned my we- my wedding off. You see? <laughs> I turned my brain off as soon as the wedding was over. Like, I was just like, I can't absorb one more piece of information. information. No. And, and so then when I knew this episode was coming up, I was like, oh, I really need to like plug back in. Yeah. <laughs> plug yeah. Back like into what's society. been going on? Oh, I totally, happening. totally Googled. What was the big news this week? Because <laughs> if it's not obvious, it's not obvious. And you got to go digging a little bit, you know? Oh, my goodness. Well, if any of you have any topics that you would like for us to discuss in future episodes, please go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners in the group page. Last but certainly not least, we appreciate it so very much when you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell us a bit of why you love the show. It truly is the best way to support us and help us grow our podcast business or whatever you know yes yes (laughs) oh also i do want to say uh thank you so much to everybody who reached out because i know that there were a lot of listeners who reached out to me um congratulated me on the marriage the marriage so thank you that's how you should have started Mowage. Actually, I think that's how they started Ariel's wedding. Oh, is it really? It was some wedding that I went to, and I think it might have been Ariel's with Mowage. That's very cute. Well, <laughs> adorable. I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. It's it warms my heart to know that you are invested at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and my God, you looked like an actual Greek goddess. There's oh, no way you, you couldn't have responded with like excitement and seeing any of the pictures thank or videos you. from you. So. And Lord knows, you know, I was so stressed out and tired that it made me happy to see that like people enjoyed Yeah. Enjoyed it. So yeah. And you had the best wedding ever too. Thank so you. All right. Well that is all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Sometimes investigative podcasts tell stories that seem almost too weird to be true. So just how wild can a fiction podcast following that same format get? You can find out on Conference Call, a Paradiso Media production presented by Realm. Conference Call follows journalist Charlotte Dunn as she uncovers the story of two entrepreneurs, the Toad Bros. 
Pieced together from the hilariously cringeworthy phone calls within their company, Charlotte details the incompetence, fraud, and betrayal of this eccentric pair and their unwitting partner who was just looking for her big break in Silicon Valley. Starring Elizabeth Henstridge, Jeff Ward, Gregory Stees, and Emma Roberts, and featuring guests like Karen Gillan, Beck Bennett, Dimi Dijuibe, and many more, Conference Call blends the workplace weirdness of The Office with the cadence of a true crime podcast. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Conference Call wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at realm.fm.